0: Thank you for for joining us for this this webinar of the Professional Practice Alliance. Um, We we are going to be talking about B Corps today and other voluntary initiatives around ESG. So we have a stunning faculty this morning. Uh, I'm Rob Millard. I'm the director of Cambridge Strategy Group. and We've got Dr. John Henry Looney, who is a professor at the University of Lincoln and uh, the uh, director of a firm called Sustainable Direction. We have Emma Bartlett, who is a partner at CM Murray, and she her particular speciality is DNI diversity and inclusion. And we have got uh, Karine Staves, who is uh, a partner at Maurice Turner Gardner, and more about that later. Um, she, her, her speciality is in professional service firm governance. Um, so we get to go through a quick round of of, of comments. Uh, on this topic, and then we're going to have some breakout groups, and uh, so you'll be a- able to to talk to each other about what you're doing in your own organizations about this, about B Corp and other initiatives like it, and then we'll have some feedback from the groups and we'll have some Q&A. So if you do have any questions, please put them into the chat, and we'll bring them up to, um, after, the, after the breakout groups. But we have a poll question first, just to do around the, uh, around the room and see what people think or where they are they are with this topic. So if we can just take a few seconds, just pick one, single choice, already certified in the process, certified in the planning stages, have decided not to do it, having thought about it. You're following a different scheme or if you have no idea, we're here to learn. Okay, so an awful lot. Nobody is certified. Um, very few in the process of certification, or and uh, otherwise it's a mix. Planning stages, following a different scheme, or have no idea. Great. Okay, well, um, should we have an idea? Corrine, what exactly is a B Corp? Uh, should a professional service firm, especially a partnership, even care about it? Well,
1: well great question. Good morning, everybody. Um, B Corp is to use its phrase a mission it's a it's a mission makes me feel like one of the thunderbirds when i say that but it's it's a mission it's it's about being accountable to the sort of the stakeholders with the business um and they describe their specific stakeholders as your workers your community your customers your suppliers the environment as and so it's about more than just making money it's about more than being accountable to well in the context of professional services firms your partners um in the context of a company your shareholders it's about stakeholder governance governing your uh, organization in a way that has an eye to all the different stakeholders the, the wider stakeholders as well as your sort of direct stakeholders if you can put it that way in terms of whether or not professional services firms should do that well it, it depends very much on what the firm's strategy is Um, I would argue that there are very strong arguments for thinking about, about not necessarily B Corp, but some sort of initiative that promotes wider kind of engagement with the community, with the environment, with ESG, because we're seeing a great pressure from clients, from um, people, and we know there's a huge war for talent at the moment, to have a firm which offers more than that. Uh, And therefore, I think there's a very strong argument, strategically, for pursuing those aims, as well as potentially it being the right thing to do. So there's sort of a, a commercial argument where you should be doing it, but also there's sort of the, the moral or the ethical argument that, that all businesses should be thinking about the wider impression that they make on, on, on the world around them.
0: Great, thanks. Well, John Henry, let's let, let's move on to you. And uh, what are your insights here? Um, give us an overview of all the, all the five areas, if you like, but obviously focusing on the environment. Sure. Um, my
2: background has been doing this sort of work since the, well, in the 90s, really. And I was able to help a, a company, a FTSE 100 company, in 2003 do their, fir- their first, first social CSR report at the time, which has largely been greenwashed, um, not the company, but the, the system. And um, and so it's something I've been doing for a long time. I've looked at different ways of doing it, uh, both in this country and quite a lot overseas. And so one of the things that's really important, in my view, is that this is this is part of the company's uh, culture. It's part of this identity to understand and do this. It's not this is not a tick box thing you should be doing, um, in my opinion. It's something that should be genuinely focused on your company's culture, its mission, what it's trying to do, which is obviously to make money. But it's what else and and why? And is money, where does it come into rank? And so it's really quite important for you to understand your, your mission uh, was the word Robert used earlier and Corinne used um, the mission that you're trying to deliver as an organization. If you work in only in the UK, some of you will. And so companies like BP, for example, um, have been trying to figure this out for a long time. They were trying to do beyond petroleum, what, what, 15 years ago. And so it's really important that you as an organization understand why you're doing this. Always start with why. Robert will tell you about that. No question. Um, why are you doing it? Who are you doing it for? And sometimes it's going to be for your, your own internal people, the, your staff, or well, all the Japanese big trading houses regard their staff as their key stakeholder because they're with them for 30 years, by and large. Um, and that's more important than their customers or their suppliers. And so they really focus and they and I don't how any companies on this call have a hundred year business plan, but a lot of the Japanese companies do. And they actually are trying to figure out where they're going to be in 100 years and what they're doing to get there. And it's not just a paper exercise. It's a genuine thing they do. So if you look at Hitachi's website as one of the examples, they genuinely have a hundred year business plan. Um, and when you're looking like that, then you look at sustainability, you look at your carbon footprint, your environmental footprint, your social engagement in a whole different way. And so, as Corinne said a minute ago, the B Corp is a really good way of doing this. There are other ways. You will have seen the Global Reporting Initiative, the SDGs. Um, the there's, there's many different ways of doing it. There's the FTSE for good, the Dow Jones Sustainability Index. There's lots of different metrics. And part of the trouble we're having at the moment is this whole area, ESG, is a bit of the Wild West. It's everybody, all the big corporate management consultants are saying, use our tool to do this work. and you want to have an independence in what you're doing, but it really, as an organization, to start with why you're doing it. What's important to you? What's important to your stakeholders, internal, external, and and then figure out the way to capture these data, to understand them, communicate them, report them. And B Corp is a has matured hugely in the last few years. I've been advising a, for a couple of firms in London on it, mainly in the financial sector, and they now see this as a good mechanism for capturing and reporting. There are many others, um, but one of the key words is corporate. And I think many of the people on this call are corporates. Um, But B Corp can uh, distill down to a um, small company uh, if you wish to. And so we want to look at why you're doing it, who you're talking to internally, externally. What are the key metrics for you as an organization? How to capture and report them? And B Corp has matured and provides a very good platform
0: for doing that. Um, Emma, uh, you, you, uh, your particular focus is DNI, and uh, I'd like to add another question to you, just leading on to uh, from what John Henry was saying, and that is the why, and, and getting your people to accept the why. If you look at the, the the dialogue that's going on around politics at the moment, it seems as though the net zero targets have are, are, are been deprioritized. And interesting, yesterday, the High Court instructed government to go away and redo their their plan for net zero and come back in eight months with a better one. Actually,
2: Robert, it's come back with a plan that might work.
0: Well, there you go. There you go. But how do you get your people on board? I mean, professional practices are renowned for the term herding cats. How do you get your people behind an initiative like this?
3: Uh, Thank you. Um, The diversity and inclusion initiatives within professional practice Firms has been ongoing for many years, but the thing that really moved it forward, in my view, is when—and um, I'm sorry if you've heard this before—but it's it's when DNI is led from the top, and um, but genuinely led from the top, and no lip service around that, and when you've got people in every executive board meeting who are championing. And questioning about DNI initiatives, and you've got lots of different people from the top who are talking about it, then that's where you get the full engagement rather than just one person um, who may be a little bit lower down the organization. But that's that's really something that's galvanized it. Um, clients, though, have also um, helped drive the business understanding of why DNI is really important. And um, you know, we had a couple of years ago. Um, in the US, you may recall, where we had about 160 GCs writing an open letter to um, the legal sector saying, we're not going to instruct people who are, uh, we're not going to put firms on our panels if they're not providing us with diverse lawyers. So it, we immediately saw that from, um, from the client base. So that, there's a couple of things that are driving that. But thirdly, it's, I, I think there's such great awareness about it now that your internal staff want to say, well, you know, I'm, I'm gonna be working here for some time. I want to know that this is the right place for me to be. And people are voting with their feet. They're leaving if it's not right, and they're not joining if it's not right. So um, your, as well as your external engagement with your clients on this, your internal engagement um, and uh, engagement with people that you're trying to recruit is so important. And that's, in my view, is what's um, driving um, engagement with workers in the sector.
0: Brilliant, thank you, thank you. Okay, so that's all about the why and what it actually is. Karine, how does a firm go about the process of, of, of becoming certified with this, in, this mission?
1: I think I think that we've probably need to take as our starting assumption that we've done the the why you know it's part of the business plan it's part of the strategy and and the firm has looked at the different ways in in terms of how they achieve their esg objectives um and we're, we're focusing in this session on on b corp but as we've discussed there are others um the 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 process with B Corp is that there's basically a certification process you go through the various questions um, that that you have to answer you have to look at an impact assessment um, you have to pay your fee um, now we're starting to see what, what what what's what's happening there for them um, and and there are various things you have to do from a governance perspective um, for example um you have to commit to the kind of the stakeholder governance principles and actually Um, some standard wording has been developed now. Um, I'm going to talk about it in the context of LLPs because most professional services firms are LLPs, but I think it was originally developed in the context of companies. And the starting point for companies was saying, right, well, companies have a duty towards stakeholders. The board have got literally statutory duties under the Companies Act to to account to, to, to 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 the shareholders and those are codified for directors by contrast it was slightly different for LLP so we're trying to put a, a round peg into a square hole but what these obligations say is this is our objectives this is what we're going to do these are the people who we consider to be our stakeholders there's also um they've let a, lo- a lawyer loose on this wording as well so there's sort of some sort of uh, safety wording in there in terms of saying that nobody can sue us on this we can't be sort of um which some might say is unhelpful if you're really sort of passionate about sort of, but nobody would agree to them if they felt that they could literally personally have been sort of held liable for failure to comply with those obligations. So you can see why the balance was struck at, at that level. And, and I feel that that wording needs to go into the LLP deed or the partnership deed, if you still have a, a partnership. Um, I think it needs to be part and parcel of the partnership objectives um, in that LLP deed. Some firms that we've been talking to about this have said, well, this is the legal requirement. This needs to go into our LRPD. deed. But we want to go further than that. We don't just want to put it in our LRPD deed and stick it in there next to the thing that says don't steal. We, we want to make more of it. We want to make it part of who we are, part of our DNA. And so they're also thinking about what else they do. Do they, for example, you know, put it up front in, say, a new partner's deed of accession where you say, I'm coming on and I and I commit to all of these duties and obligations legally that's all you need to do but then put something in there saying and I pledge to adhere to this do they do a public pledge do they put something on their website where they sort of have every partner sign a sort of a, a, a sort of a, a piece of paper where they say yes I'm, I'm committed to this because obviously the LLP is a, is a private document so we're sort of seeing firms saying what do we need to do legally which is a pure variation of the LLP exercise and the wording is quite a well-trodden path now but what do we do in addition to that things like the impact assessment the reporting they have to do against achievement of these objectives do they just put them in the little sort of tiny bits at the bottom of their website sort of next to the sort of the modern slavery statement that's sort of right at the bottom or do they say well actually no this is something we're proud of do you put it in the annual accounts do you introduce a page in your annual accounts that you file at company's house how far do you commit to this how far beyond the basic sort of requirements, if you like, for this certification or, or, or the minimum you need to get to in order to, sort of, to, to tick, tick the box, to use John Henry's phrase, how far beyond the basic do you how do you show that you're not greenwashing? How do you show that you actually mean it?
0: Great, thanks. And uh, I, I guess this topic can't be separated from the sort of wider issue of, of, of reporting uh, uh, reporting initiatives that are, are, are coming in where firms, especially big firms. Are having to report about on, on various aspects of their their, their ESG performance, uh, not least net zero. Um, John Henry, how do, how does this intersect? What 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 reporting requirements are coming down the track or, or already here, and how does B Corp intersect with those?
2: Um, what your your question is a really good one. One of the things that we're saying, of course, across corporate reporting requirements from the UK government um, on carbon is now they're pushing it down another tier of organizations in terms of size for carbon reporting and management. And Robert, you and I have been doing for years um, environmental management approach, ISO 14001. And in that, it gives you the very good systems to capture some of these data. But we're also seeing under section 172 in the Companies Act that there are legal requirements which Corinne can talk about in great detail, I'm sure. But under that section in the Companies Act, we do have to do this. It's Sarbanes-Oxley in the US has modified and developed subsequent. you're going to be asked to account for, um, not just the modern slavery thing, but lots and lots of uh, really important environment and social metrics. One of the things that the UK government's also requiring now on a lot of its capital projects from the contractors and in also just normal compliance and, and would know more about this, is the social value requirement, measuring social value uh, as and reporting it back in. So there's quite a lot of coming down from above, not just from, corporate requirements, the legal and other, the other stuff is there. Your clients are gonna require it, your customers are requiring it as Emma was pointing out, your employees are requiring it, but there's also more and more coming down the path that you're gonna legally, legally expect it to do. And not just to report, this is something I know I've mentioned and Corinne picked up on it. I've seen too many years of the big principal contractors in this company going through the BRIAM assessments and figuring out, well, I'll get three points if I spend this much money, to get to outstanding or good or whatever on the metric scale. And that's not the way to do this. (laughs) You kind of really do it in a meaningful way. Um, And so there is quite a lot coming down in terms of corporate expectation, government expectation, customer expectation, and suppliers as well. Um, One of the issues in the environment space is the corporate requirements on scope one, two, and three on your carbon. Well, scope's one and two. you pretty much have direct control over that's what you do on your premises and where you buy energy from which is usually electricity but you might buy air conditioning or heat you might do um but the scope three which is your suppliers and your customers and the whole thing this is where this is going to have huge traction and i've got several organizations that are saying our client wants to know the carbon footprint of our product whether it's a desk a piece of pipe a pallet of bricks whatever it is. There's a huge pressure to be able to to report that my product has a carbon footprint of X because the UK government is requiring buildings to be lower carbon anyway. The principal contractors aren't doing that but to a certain extent, so they're passing it down again. So there's huge reporting requirements coming very fast on embodied carbon, scope three carbon metrics. And the good news about that is that we're gonna be working together in partnerships to ratchet down this environmental metric. It's only one of the environmental metrics um, as you and I've discussed Robert at length, mm. but the the carbon one seems to be, well, it should be, but one of the things in front of everyone's mind, even if we're not necessarily doing much about it in some ways, and I guess I w- I'll finish and then stop this. I could talk about this forever, but one of the things yeah. that I, we need people to, to do is not identify, well, if I recycle my paper, I, I, I'm okay. You've got to do so much more these days. And I think the current economic crisis is making people, or challenge, whatever it is, making people look at their their life decisions, their spending decisions. Do I go to work today or do I Zoom? And these all have huge sustainability benefits, which many on this call have probably tried to get people to do for decades. And all of a sudden now, because it costs them money. <laughs> They're, they're actually looking at it. So I think we should use this current situation as a way to ratcheting the vision on sustainability for everybody to understand, well, actually, why have I always done it like that? I, I didn't need to do it that way. I can do it better.
0: Okay, we're going to break into our breakout groups in just a couple of minutes. But before we do, um, Kareen, the Companies Act, uh, they just uh, prompted by John Henry. Do you want to give us a comment on, on what the current requirements already are?
1: Well, the, 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 the section that's, um John Henry alluded to, section 172, that's the, the codification of director's duties where it sort of says directors have got to do this and got to do that. And that was sort of reasonably new in sort of, say new (laughs) i remember it coming in 2006 um but you know the sort of the the modern style is to have those codified directors duties now it's not a a direct analogy here because we those sections of the companies acts don't apply to llps and to members of llps which most professional services firms are but but what the um b corp wording and and what i would recommend um all professional services firms do is is look at whatever standards you're using looking at how you achieve those objectives sort of and, and achieve a sort of a, a similar idea so LRPs the members are both owners and managers um it's not like you have a separation between shareholders and directors for example so you don't have that sort of difference if you like which which does make it very a different perspective but I don't think that that needs to undermine the principles here which is that you're gonna be accountable to your stakeholders and the, the owners and the managers together, here they are combined, are committing to these particular principles like taking into account the interests of stakeholders and and sort of putting that mission, those objectives, those those purposes into the governing documents. And I think that the publicity one is, is relevant as well, because there's another distinction between companies and, and LLPs. Companies, your articles of association are, are public, by contrast, in LRP or LRP deed is private. Therefore, if you want to literally make a statement about what your objectives are, what your purpose is, what you're hoping to achieve, you need to find a way to publicize that for people to know because they can't just say here it is in our articles and we filed those at Companies House. So there's there's a sort of there's distinctions there that professional services firms have to think about things differently, but it's it's completely surmountable, none of this is difficult. Um, It's just back to the basic question, what are we hoping to achieve? And then there are any number of ways that you can actually achieve that legally and from a governance perspective.
0: Thanks, thanks so much, Corrine. Right, we're going to break up into our groups now. The question for each group is going to be the same as the poll, which is basically, what are you doing in your organisation? But I'd like to add another question to that. Uh, and, and that is, besides B Corp, what are the other ways of approaching this? I see we've got Jill Poet who's put, put a comment in there about the responsible business standard. We've got a comment from Clive asking about feedback replan- uh, Planets mark standards. Uh, what else is there out there? Nobody's certified with B Corp already. What, what, what alternatives are you thinking about? Emma, shall we kick off with the group that you were facilitating?
4: Yeah, definitely.
3: We had a really interesting discussion. We had a mix of people in our group as well. Um, Some who were already advising and um, contributing towards um, ethical and ESG standards. Um, Some who were advising their clients, law firms, international law firms, and others there to learn. So um, we talked about some great examples. And actually, um, one brilliant example, um, and I mentioned this because it was the last thing we were talking about, um, Clive, Bonnie, was talking about as part of um, an ESG engagement um, to assist in undertaking impact assessments, uh, which I thought was uh, was really interesting, really useful, and um, uh, helping, the, the, the uh, benefit of the impact assessments helps the, engage the leaders within that business to understand the importance and the why, and then it gives them the statistical data. I hope I've summarised that nicely, Clyde. Um <laughs> And uh, I, I was thinking about an example of um, uh, where a law firm really got this right in terms of being able to galvanise. Uh, and I used, uh, sorry, I adopted your phrase of herding cats because um, law firms are probably doing lots of things which can be relevant to an impact assessment for this um, B Corp status. But it's, it's really important to have one or two people in the organization who have responsibility for it and can draw those strands together and get it right and then shout about it because if you're not shouting about it you won't um, have any central resource which will give the examples of where you're doing something really well um, and then enable you to say right this is where we are now but where do we want to be because obviously B Corp status is a three-year certification process you have to refresh it and with anything, if you're just standing still, you're not going to be able to continue with the certification. I'll leave it
0: there, Rob. Great, thanks, Emma. Irene, do you want to go next?
1: Thanks so much, Rob. Um, yeah, we, we had a, equally a really interesting discussion as well. I think a, a couple of nice sound bites that came out of out of our useful discussion. I think that people felt that um, we need to make this part of reward. This needs to be part of the KPIs, so it's part of reward, and that will really motivate. Uh, people to to really pursue the the, the objectives of the organisation. Um, I thought it was useful to focus on some of the slightly trickier issues. Um, for example, you, you you'll see that B Corp, for example, um, has a number of um, ethical stances on things like fossil fuels as one, tax structuring as another, and we talked about the tension that we might see between t- some professional services firms in terms of. They might have a strong oil and gas practice and how do they align that with the quite ethical um outlook that that's um that certification whichever set of standards you're using uh, kind of imposes on you and, and whether that forces you to change your business model and actually the clients for, for which you act which was interesting and, and there was a fabulous phrase which i wrote down verbatim which is because we were talking about how difficult it is and and some things are black and white and they're very easy but they we talked about the fact that the gray areas are where the culture of the firm is either won or lost. And I think that was a fantastic observation because it's it's very much when you really have to focus on those tough questions that culture shines through and you, and you learn about who you are and, and, and what you're what you're behind.
0: Excellent, thanks, Corine. Uh, John Henry, and then I'll carry on with uh, some of the group that I I set.
2: Great. Um, we had we had also had a, a very good discussion. Uh, we had two people from CML. And they, they very helpfully identified that they're learning, getting engaging with this now, moving into it, progressing it. And so they're trying to understand the why, they're trying to understand um, what they're going to do uh, because of the nature. One of the things that came out in the discussion, part of that is their ability to contribute social value is through donating professional time uh, to, to people and helping in a, in a way. So there's quite a bit of stuff they could actually go ahead and, and get credit for now. Um, we had Kelly as well with us, and she was saying that they've just engaged a consultant to to look at this whole issue to try to figure out what it is for them. And it was part of their uh, annual meeting this year, earlier this year. But also, they got a second consultant to to look at the the purpose. What's the purpose? And so they're they're clearly moving to engage um, at this time. Neither of them are in position. They're still try- on a on a mission to figure out what to do and how to do it. Uh, I think Corinne, some of the comments she made earlier replied that corporates and LLPs are a bit different in this space. Um, and that needs to be respected, obviously. And then Joel was with us, who you can see on screen now. Um, she has a, an organization called Responsible Business, which is a, a, and she described very clearly her different approach to the B Corp approach. Where hers is you uh, you start with a course, so you get some idea what this is all about anyway. And you you have to kind of really unpack the whole issues and all the stories and not just go through a questionnaire that you can then say we're not going to answer (laughs) that one. Jill I hope that was fair. Uh, uh, Yulia or Beth would you like to comment further? No I think that was a great summary thank you.
0: Okay, well, in my group, we were very fortunate. We had Tim Nash, who's the CEO of the law firm Edwin Co, who is about, and, and that firm is about to certify in the next couple of months, as Tim said. So uh, our discussion was really consisted of of, of uh, interrogating Tim. And Tim, please uh, feel free to chip in if, if, if you want to, if I don't put anything accurately or you'd like to add, but... Uh, he described how they'd gone through thinking about a, a number of options and uh, like the ISO standards, ISO 14 thousand and one and and but that seemed to be too heavy a lift uh, because there were multiple standards that would have been involved and because of the hot it just seemed to be too too heavy for for a professional service firm and he's, he described it coming across B Corp as a light bulb moment and it just seemed to be exactly what they were looking for. So they have gone through a whole process of, of, of thinking about uh, what they're doing and comparing what they're doing at the moment and what they've been doing to what they'd like to be doing and what they could be doing and what's perhaps too, too, too much of a stretch and they shouldn't be, be doing. Uh, and being a law firm, they're being very conservative about it, not, uh, n- not putting down anything that they're not actually doing already. Uh, and um, what else? Uh, we asked how much it costs. And he said it depends how many, how much third-party advice you get. They, they're getting a third-party consultant to advise on the environmental side uh, in order to be able to, it's very important to be able to prove what you say and uh, have evidence. Uh, so they, they felt that they needed to get third-party advice for that. But pretty much the rest of it, I mean, the people, HR are doing that, the clients, the customers, but the well, BD are doing that. It's become a very inclusive thing across the firm where people are getting involved with writing uh policy statements and such like, and, and so getting to know the firm better too. Um after submitting the, the questionnaire, it generally takes B Corp about six to twelve months to get around to auditing you. So you've got six to twelve months to get your ship in order, as it were, and to show some show some progress towards some of the objectives. Um and we put the question to Tim as to you know how daunting is this, and he said it's not daunting at all for a professional firm. It's, uh, it, it might be for a, a big manufacturing company or or or, or a business like that because that's what, what B Corps really aimed at. It's the big producers and the the, the firms with the the, the companies or the big impacts. <clears throat> so it's relatively straightforward for a professional firm like like a law firm to to go through this process. So. Um, any, would anybody like to add anything else, any, any of the participants?
4: Could I ask, Robert? Uh, I'm intrigued also that ISO are not taking a more holistic approach because, as you quite rightly say and imply, that their um, multiplicity is rather over-engineered and very high cost, uh, especially for the SME community. I'm just interested, why is that? Because they've been in this um, area for so long and yet haven't evolved and improved and in, in the way it could have could have happened
0: well karine remembers when the the, the companies act uh, was upgraded i remember when iso 14001 was released on henry wood 2 1997 and uh it, it it's it's meant to be completely scalable so i mean iso's intent was to create a standard that could fit anywhere from a big multinational corporation down to a um uh, an sme And each of the standards is written in exactly the same format. So the idea was to have one management system and then you have different objectives and targets for different topic areas. But it's really an integrated management system, which fits rather well with the EU requirements mirrored in the UK requirements coming down the the, the turnpike that uh, reporting has to, should be integrated with financial as well, ultimately. So it should be better. I I think it's, it's, I think it's just badly publicised. Myself, I mean, people look at all this, this dense pros and these thick standards and manuals, and and, and they think, uh, no, well, that's just uh, too bureaucratic, too too much of a heavy load. <clears throat> and if B Corp, um, with their questionnaire approach, get as much traction in the market, then it, perhaps it is an easier way, and perhaps I don't think it's as rigorous a way. John Henry, would you like to comment on that? I mean, you form away, good.
2: Well, and funny enough, I, I remember when BS7750 came in in, in the mid 1980s, which is a predecessor to 14001. I was working on that. Uh, the 2015 version of 14001 is definitely an improvement. Uh, and as you said, you've got consistent. I don't know, Clive's answer, uh, why ISO hasn't claimed the space, um, but they never really had much in the social side. They were health and state, they're more corporate compliance type of things than, than vision space people things. I, I would say you've also got the PASs now, so like 2060 for carbon, uh, which are the a whole different approach as well. Um, yes, so it's a good question. I don't have a straightforward answer.
0: Well, PASs? What what is publicly now?
2: available standards? I can show you. I can show you one. 2060 is on carbon. Um, it's just a yet another version of BS of ISO, BSI type things. Um, you still have to pay to get them. You have to work up a system to do it and. Um, as Clive said a minute ago, I think you said as well, Robert, let's just have one system to manage and have different specialist subsets to the system, uh, integrated management systems, which would make it easy. So Clive, um, I can't give you much more an answer than you have already, I'm afraid.
0: <laughs> okay, are there any other questions? Uh, I don't see any more in the chat. And we're coming up, we've got about seven minutes left of the webinar and I want to do one last round of the, the speakers. But if there are any questions, uh, by all means, Take yourself off mute and pitch, uh, pitch in, or put it in the chat, Clive. If you have another question,
4: uh, I'm always interested as a management consultant in gap analysis, and one of my observations is that um, many people who attain these standards don't always have the necessary uh, skill sets to uh, understand how to tender into the public sector. And I wondered um, mm-hmm. if you're aware of any standard bodies who offer that as an add-on um, so that they can maximize their accreditations. John Henry, this is your this question. Yeah, uh, <laughs> um,
2: I think where I've found this, Clive, is that you can find good bid writers who understand the space and they can advise you what to do. Um, I'm sure some of the management consultants, and you're one and I arguably I'm one, and Robert was one. I'm sure he's, I think he's okay now. Are they, um, <laughs> they we can advise people what to do um it sometimes takes a long time to get through the machination system i i helped a client in london um some years ago now retain a large contract with um the london underground they did the advertising and they lost apparently a similar contract which is only 500 million (laughs) at the time because they didn't understand sustainability and so i was asked tell us what this means and so i said okay we're going to do it for real and i'm not going to help you if you don't want to do it for real if you just want to tick box it then go somewhere else Anyway, uh, we found a really cool thing. The uh, Department of Transport, London Underground, loved it. And they retained what turned, was reported in the FT as a two billion pound contract because they were actually doing something. Right. Not talking about doing something. They were actually doing something.
4: <laughs> Great. Thank, thank, thanks, John. Uh, if I can just add a rider, Matt is. Uh, I, I'm also a member of the Business Angels Association and a lot of small Small firms who are seeking private equity finance aren't fully acquainted with social impact investment and the high growth in, in that particular area. And um, certainly I, I, I get a lot of work uh, through social impact um, uh, due, diligence, due diligence work, which yeah. you know, standards, a small firm having standards uh, really accelerates its growth.
2: I would agree. Are you using the IA, IA, SIA guidance? That's what I work with.
4: Um, yeah, uh, I use what's appropriate really for the size of firm. Uh, obviously, startups require something really simple and um, fast to entry. Um, but uh, there, there are lots of opportunities here, and investors do need uh, do like to see third party uh, recognition mm-hmm. and accreditation.
2: Yeah, so I just mentioned some of clubs working with called the International Association of Impact Assessment (IAIA). They published some years ago SIA guidance. Uh, which is excellent, and um, I'm working with on a couple of projects in the UK, and Clive clearly is as well. Um, it's a it's a clear, logical approach, but why is that not an ISO standard, Clive? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we go around that one again.
0: Yeah, well, there, there seem to be quite a few of these standards, but I mean, they all come down to the same thing, really, at brass Tax, which is, you know, say what you're going to do, uh, do what you said you were going to do. Uh, and I'd add a third, which is be able to prove that you've done what you said you were going to do, because that's where uh. people get into the trouble. And you have uh, Deutsche Bank of Syria being raided by the police and Goldman Sachs being investigated by the SEC because they're making claims that have been challenged and, uh, and, and regulators are taking them up. So... Um, In the last few minutes that we have left, uh, Emma and then uh, Karine, just just a few closing comments, if you would, and uh, last insights.
3: I think uh, my final comments here are, establish a working group that leads the focus on the five pillars. Um, Consider your communications internally and externally. Um, You have to galvanize from the top and ensure your leadership is fully supportive of um, b corp certification goal um, and spend time communicating and uh taking a few points from your stakeholders all of your stakeholders i'll leave it there thanks
0: brilliant thanks and corinne and i believe you have an exciting announcement to make
3: well okay great
1: um <clears throat> that's gonna be a massive disappointment now um, <laughs> so so in in terms of I, I think let's let's just focus on the professional firms will get the most if you like out of this if people have bought into it and I think for the for the partnership to buy into it there has to be a selfish aspect to it in the sense of really drive what what the commercial benefits are to um engaging with this and, and in our group we talked about first mover advantage and we're probably still in that area where we're moving from lip service to, to genuine first mover advantage on properly delivering here um, I, that's generalizing a little bit but but i think if if the the leaders of the firms genuinely believe the, believe in and promote the commercial benefits then i think it will be very easy for everybody to to follow and and for that to be in and just intrinsic in the firm's general strategy and i think that's likely to be most most successful and, and in terms of um the announcement that rob alluded to i was going to let everybody know that i am leaving mtg which is sad, but the good news is I'm joining CM Murray, so um you you, you will continue to, to to encounter me on the Alliance events, but with a a slightly different sort of branding and uh, and, and business card. So I'll, I'll I'll look forward to seeing you all on the other side.
0: <laughs> Brilliant. Thanks, thanks, Karine. And uh, the, the churn in the legal uh, sector on this call isn't restricted to Karine because Daniela is the also churn. President.
1: Churn, Rob! Churn! Churn in the
0: the larger (laughs) sense. You're not churning. (laughs) (laughs)
4: Uh,
0: My apologies. Uh, But Daniela is also moving on and Daniela uh, has of power really behind these webinars and uh, she, she's been making sure that all the technology works and the invitations go out and all the administration happens really being the, the foundation of them and so we're very grateful to her and uh, they've been a great success over the past couple of years since we started them and we're going to miss her and uh, Stuart Smith who's also on the call is going to be taking over from her however and so we're in good hands going forward and uh we wish uh, Daniela all, all, all the very best with her future role at at Sydney Austin. So uh, there, there we go. So we have a, a few seconds left, and and I think we probably should leave it at that. I mean, in terms of, of of my final words, it would just be to reiterate what I just said. Not only say what you're going to do, not only do it, but be able to prove it. Be able to prove it. Have, uh, have evidence, hard evidence that you can substantiate. And uh, thank you all for attending today. This has been a a really interesting discussion and uh, I wish you all the best. Thank
4: you. Bye, everyone.